Hello, and welcome to the Twin Troopers podcast. My name is Jake. And I'm Eric. Well, Eric, this week we're going to talk about our first map review. We're going to, this is kind of out of the ordinary for us, but I'm, I'm a little, I'm excited to do it. And this is hopefully something that we can turn into the ordinary, but yeah, Uh, this week we're going to be discussing, we're going to try to discuss all of the ins and outs of the Moss Isley back alleys map. Yeah, I think that's and I, so I like that you're doing this. So you, uh, I want to give you credit because you spearheaded this idea. So I, uh, I'm excited to um, be a part of this because I don't think I had the ambition necessarily to do the back. There's a lot of ba- let's say there's a lot of back end work to analyzing a map, like a surprising amount, I think. And so right. I'm really I'm really I, excited I, that a you did the work and b that we're doing this episode. <laughs> I did the work and you benefit, listeners. Exactly. Well, I also benefit. Wink, wink. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jake. Um, you know, I'd just be interested if you would give like a kind of like what was your what approach did you take to putting together how this episode is? And maybe it'll just be a maybe you don't want to do that, but I do sure. I just find it kind of interesting and in like how you think like what is the proper way to analyze a map before we get into this? Sure. So what I did is I've we've both played a lot of games on this map since it's been in rotation throughout the entire regional season and now the world's tournament so mm. we, we've gotten a lot of practice in on it uh Certainly. you have weekly you you're lucky and have weekly games mm-hmm. uh so but w- so while we've been playing this map a lot i've noticed that there are just some ways that the map like each game kind of evolves uh depending on the matchups but uh but like games evolve in pretty similar ways of where people go and what people do on each map and on each objective set depending mm. on what units they're using. Yep. So I, I kind of, what I did is I started with an overview of like, okay, what's the map? What is it good at? What kind of play does it encourage? Yeah. What, uh, and that kind of thing, just a broad overview. Then I went ahead and uh, separated the map into areas. Uh, so that we were talking in the first episode I was ever on, where you interviewed me about things to know about Imperial Assault. I brought up the, uh, comparison with the Star Wars Battlefront 2 uh, on the old PC, Xbox, PS2. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Xbox original. We can't even say Xbox One anymore because <laughs> Microsoft is dumb. But uh, but yeah, so I, I brought up the idea of comparing things to the command posts that you would see on those games where there's separate areas and controlling, like people can fight over control of an area and people can uh, move like you can have areas and then it just if you can name areas it really shorthands uh it really gives good shorthands to it as well instead of like trying to put a chess grid on it where you say oh i'm gonna go to space h16 and and then oh i need to look at the grid and see what that means versus we're gonna go into the cantina of moss isley back alleys which is the canteen which is the tile with the stage and the little tables sitting around and like that's just a good shorthand way to put things down yeah so I, like I, I tried to separate out into areas then we're gonna take uh we're gonna take a look at the missions uh so what the victory points are available the best strategies to getting them and then uh and then the ways that those will affect the flow of the battle yeah i think that's a good idea i, li- I like your approach to the positioning because well a, i think it's kind of hard because some of the map tiles are not very distinct from each other at times, but I like this approach because I think Imperial Assault is a game that why people like it a lot because it does abstract. I guess a lot of a lot of the mechanics are abstracted into fun Star Wars things, and so I think trying to keep that going is an admirable admirable way to do strategy. 
kind of discuss strategy on a map. Right. And like I said, we, we could try to like grid it out and be and do it that way. But that just sounds boring and terrible to listen to. Yeah, no, that's that would not be fun. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, I also put down a little bit of discussion of the deployment zones of where what each side offers and why you would want to choose that if you get stuck with the initiative. Yep, I think that's smart. And then just general strategic concerns of uh, like, so once we discuss all the zones and all the objectives and the deployment areas, then we can start talking about like what the, uh, like what the strategic concern. So like, we'll, we'll just get to that, but basically it's miscellaneous notes on what the map means for your play and what the map means for uh, what you want to do to get the most points and to be the most effective on this map. Right. Excellent. So why don't we just hop right into it with a, uh, with a bit of an overview of the Moss Isley back alleys. Uh, it rotated in uh, to the tournament rotation back in January and it's mm -hmm. from the Jawa scavenger uh, ally or villain pack and so it's uh, in that little sheet of paper that it comes with uh, <laughs> the little just, the little mission paper yep yeah you get the one side where it explains various rules and has the skirmish map and then the other side with the useless campaign mission that nobody ever plays anyway yep <laughs> you know on the Jawa ally is that it <laughs> Jawa I mean, villain I guess <laughs> I don't know but uh, mm. but yeah so I lost my train yeah so this map is Pretty interesting. It uses only core set tiles, so it's uh, it's probably the most accessible map in the rotation right now. Yeah, you don't have to buy any of the extra stuff. Although yeah. if you play this game, you probably have, but that's beside the point, I guess. <laughs> I mean, and it just makes, yeah, I don't know. I, I just think it's worth noting that it's only core set tiles, which is great. Yeah, that is interesting. Um, we're going to, of course, be putting up a link to the excellent map file over on boardwars.eu if you uh if you go look at this thing it had it's like an insanely i think it's like i don't know five thousand pixels or something yeah they are they are the unsung heroes of the imperial assault community posting the maps because looking i i look at them quite often so yeah and it's just a a great amount of detail so that you can get in and look at things hmm but uh, right. but yeah, so yeah, we'll have that link up. So overall, strategically, this map, I think it's actually one of the most balanced uh, maps ever put in rotation. Yeah, uh, it actually, yeah, it's quite, it's actually quite a bit more. I, I think we've complained on other maps, right? Sometimes that it'll, they'll, for some reason, not have a very symmetrical layout for the two sides. So you'll get a side that has like a distinct advantage over the other. But this one, actually, honestly, I can't think of really any reason to pick one side over the other. In it, right. that's, that's a dramatic small, difference. There's some very small differences that right. that can mean a lot in high level play, but overall I think it's a very balanced map. And if and so you shouldn't really feel but if you win the initiative toss, then you can uh you can choose whatever side gives the best incremental advantage to your uh to your list, but it's not but you could honestly just flip a coin and be fine either way. Right. Yep. I completely agree. Yeah, and this is an interesting map, though, for... Uh, so you said, I, I think this map, honestly, you have written down in our notes that it accommodates kind of melee and ranged figures. Right. Yeah, and, and I find it... Hmm, go, go ahead. ahead. Oh, I was going to say, well, it accommodates... I think it obviously accommodates melee. I think anyone can see that based on the size because it's kind of... It feels... See, maybe I'm wrong in this. Maybe my... It's just a feeling not correct, but it feels like 
the distance from one side to the other is a, quite a bit shorter than a lot of maps. I think that is true. <laughs> You'll have to correct me if I'm not. But I'm just trying to do a quick count here. Like, so if I was Nine, in the red deployment ten. zone to blue. Yeah, each one, deployment two, zone from the shortest distance, uh, assuming without the doors being in the way, they're, they're 10 spaces apart, which is pretty close for on the on the scale. I, I don't think it's the closest it's ever been. Uh, that was probably Kuat with the uh, where they were mm -hmm. four spaces apart behind doors. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yep. But yeah, but, so that's that's part of it. But just because the way these um the map is laid out with these long firing lanes, it actually is pretty forgivable. It's a it's a pretty strong map for ranged units. Let's say long range yeah. units. Yeah. So it, I don't think either I don't think ranged or melee get an advantage because melee they can rush in and still get attacks meaningful attacks off at the beginning of the second round. Yep. Versus ranged, okay. they have plenty. Like you were saying, they have plenty of good firing lanes. Where they can cover long stretches, right? And I would also note the uh, so when we're looking like from a left to right, when the map is top down, you know how you have those three, the three lanes kind of. Uh, the reason why this also is very beneficial to uh, ranged units versus jo like if you think back to what Java's Palace was, um, they have very easy access to every lane. Even if they're set up in one, if they're set up to watch the middle lane, they have very easy access to the two side lanes as well. Yes. Where in Java's Palace, you couldn't really set up in the middle all that easily you to set up like to watch the main easily. Right, right. You couldn't do it. It was pretty difficult. Yeah. Speaking of theaters, uh, let's go ahead and mm. talk a little bit about what the different uh, areas are. Areas in quotation marks. Uh, I have quite a list down here, but they, they, I think they kind of pretty well distinct from each other. And mm. like I said, it's better than just trying to set up a grid. So yeah. I, I broke it down into a lot of sections. Uh, I'd say the most important is the central hallway. So just the two spaces that go from north to south in the middle. Uh, and then like that two space wide corridor, just that entire area is can be easily accessed from uh, that. If you can get into the center hallway, then you can get into mm. pretty much anywhere else with uh let with little effort yeah i would i would kind of describe that central hallway as it's where <laughs> most of the action takes place generally because there's a significant amount of um victory points kind of stored in there when we get to the missions but also like you said it's just relatively easy access for both um for you and your opponent for both sides it's an easy place for them to access so naturally a lot of units end up there fighting right so yeah that's that's where a lot most of the fighting takes place Mm. A lot of the time. Uh, and then we'll just go ahead and start kind of in the bottom left corner because that's where I started at when I wrote my notes, I guess. Right. Uh, would be red deployment zone, yeah, uh, which is in the desert area. You have a little bit of a crashed sand crawler or something like that. And then so there's a lot of blocking terrain, a lot of uh, and a lot of impassable terrain, the red dotted lines. Yeah, that's a very but, strange. Um, it's a very strange tile. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll we'll talk a bit more about that as we move along. But uh, but then we move up, uh, we move north up into the red terminal hallway, where mm -hmm. the terminal and then it's blocked off by a few doors. So this is a this is a decent staging area for the red deployment zone to move out into the cantina, which is moving up and around, or into the central hallway. Uh, then we were talking about the cantina tile with the tables. Uh, and then that kind of also stretches up into the tile uh, to the north of it as well, I'd say, as part of the cantina zone. 
Mm, yep. Agreed. And then moving up uh, further clockwise, uh, we have the uh, back. We have the back room where uh, just to the left of the blue deployment zone, and that's yep. a, that's a good staging area for the for blue to set up snipers to cover the central hallway. Yep. And so you're referring to that top left room, kind of there. Yeah, the, or the top middle room actually. The top left room I, I kind of consider as the bound as like kind of boundary between the cantina and the back room. Okay. All right. So, so yep, I understand what you're talking about here. Back room. Yeah, and then we move into the blue deployment zone, which has some blocking terrain, but is otherwise completely open. Yep. Uh, so you the blue deployment zone. We'll get into this when we discuss the zones themselves, but it's a uh, it's a lot more flexible of a deployment. You can be a lot more flexible in your deployment. Mm. Mm -hmm. uh, then we move into the blue terminal hallway, the same thing again, where it's blocked off by two doors uh, and then you have the terminal. So, and then we move down into the evaporator area, which is the large open area of desert with a red blocking terrain evaporator in the middle of it. Yeah. And kind of acts as the, uh, the flip side of the cantina in a way. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it's the flip side of the cantina, but we'll talk, but I think it's a lot more constricted to the cantina and mm. it's a lot harder to get to for uh, for the red deployment zone than the cantina is from the blue deployment zone. Yep, I would agree with that. And then you just move out into the desert alley, which is the south, like there's this hallway of desert tiles down in the south area of <laughs> I like uh, that. Next to the I red that. deployment zone. So just, just back there, it's a very sheltered area back in there. So you can hide people, hide snipers to move out and attack, or you can try to use it to bum rush around the long way around the map instead right. of cutting through the center. Yep. So it's just an interesting little area. Yeah. Yeah, lots of neat stuff on this map. Eric, why don't you tell us about these missions? About I've been these missions. I know. I've, I've been letting you just take it away. All right. So there's two, obviously there's two missions as usual. So um, the first one is stashed away which is if you're looking at your cards, that would be scenario A. So for stashed away, the mission text is at the end of each round, each player gains two victory points for each crate he or she controls. Then reverse order of initiative, each player chooses and opens one closed door. Um, so if you're looking at the map, uh, this is kind of the mission, the hold the box missions, the hold the point missions, which are you know a pretty common mission type in Imperial Assault. But if you look at the map, it's a total of, I think, six, six boxes. Yep, so there's a total of 12 points you can get by holding maps. Uh, or holding boxes uh, and generally the way I see this mission is there's kind of like a in the center you can get two boxes so the center hallway ends up being kind of a point of contention because there's a lot of available points there I mean relative right. to your other, to other points one figure can hold two points if they if they're positioned in the center hallway so it's it's good to either try to be that guy or to prevent your opponent from being that guy right and then you can, I mean, I would say the other benefit of it as well is that you sort of get rewarded. So a lot of times um, in missions where it's hold the points type mission styles, uh, you're kind of rewarded for splitting your forces where these two boxes in the middle kind of make it so you could bunch up still and not necessarily be punished as hard if they're, say, only one box, let's say, you know, like in right. that scenario. Yeah, if so, you want to flood the center, that's not a bad decision to make on yeah, this on this objective it's not it's not a game let's say let's say it like this it's not a game losing decision the way that kind of on shielded or well now Huda and jabba's palace probably would have been if you had just flooded a single point on those and let your opponent take the other eight points from the other ones so yeah and this one i mean the other big point of this too is that even if you 
and this maybe this gets into strategy a little bit but if you hold those two center points you have easy access to contest i think some of these other points as well because everything's so close so it's really you're really not giving away the, some of those missions some of those objectives the way you are again on those unlike java's palace or now Huda, where it's pretty difficult to shift from one objective to another like yeah definitely um so in the other mission is concealed treasures scenario b and this one is a figure can retrieve a crate. Each figure can carry only one crate. When a figure enters a space adjacent to a stash, that figure may discard a crate it's carrying to gain four victory points. So to break this one down a little bit, each um, player has a stash in their deployment zone. And what you basically, and the rest of this, so what happens is you send your units out, pick up a crate, and then they have to bring it back to your deployment zone. It takes an action to pick up the box, but it does not take an action to drop off. Or you can bring it to your opponent's deployment zone if you or want you can, to be really yeah, about it. Which now that I think about it, that may be actually a more doable thing, but right. maybe a more doable strategy. Out of the fight, they can they can drop off in the stash and then be ready to fight your opponents that are still there. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, but so I based on our notes here, concealed treasures. There's 32 available points from getting boxes. So yeah, there's a lot of boxes out. So they add two more boxes on top of the six. So there's yeah, eight there, out there. There are eight four point objectives. So 32 points. If you wanted to, you could run all of these and still only have to and only have to kill a few enemy units. Yeah, it's difficult but, to do that, but it's possible. Yeah, yeah, it's very difficult. I, I don't know if we're gonna get. I don't know if this is the right time to bring it up, but I'm not. Let's say I'm not a huge fan of concealed treasure as a mission for the most part, but it's it's okay. I think it yeah. makes it um, going back to your deployment zone is very costly. Let's say it costs on, you a lot of time which you don't oh, yeah. have in a timed match. Right, right. And I would just say from a perspective, if you're moving something out, right? So turn one, turn one best case scenario, you pick up a box and that's very unlikely. It's possible, but it's very unlikely, um, which means turn two, most units, most that's when you're usually picking up a box is turn two. But if you did pick up a box, you would run it all the way back turn two. So you'd be in your deployment zone at the end of turn two, which means turn three, this whatever unit dropped off a box definitely will not be able to do anything offensive and that and then it would be turn four until they so they'd probably have to double move turn three and then they could be offensive turn four that's really that's really late the game's like over at that point so yes yeah the game's pretty much over by that point which is why i'm a bit of a advocate for picking up and going into your opponent's deployment zones so you're ready to ready to fight but yeah, then also be. you're double moving and not attacking so it's a really tough balance to to try to figure out what you want your list to do. So right. uh, if you if, so basically it comes down to don't you don't really want to use your uh, your fighting units, your soldiers, your strike troops, like your four point, your three and four point fighters. Yep. You definitely don't want to use anybody who's worth more than that. So like I've seen, there was once upon a time I saw somebody try to run crates with Vader that didn't work out so well. <laughs> but he's so tanky. He's so tanky, but he, he just you cannot get your points back with him. Uh, th this mission is where the Rebel Alliance smuggler and the scum uh, hired guns excel. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Because they can, they're only worth two points apiece, so if they can grab a crate and bring it back, that's they've doubled their point investment. Yeah, they're very valuable on this mission. So, Which I find, yeah, I, I think that's fine to make those more powerful. I just like Again, I'm I'm a person who I enjoy missions where it kind of makes you ask like, should I be doing something offensive or doing something, um, doing an objective focused, like play. 
Right. And I don't think this mission realistically gives you that option. Like obviously your 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 objective grabber your objective grabber type figures are going to grab the boxes, but you know, you don't really have to make that decision with like a jet trooper or a I don't know, like a riot trooper or a weak way, really. They might grab a box. There's a chance, but I, I've used I've used it to grab boxes in the late game where uh, yeah, if they're if they're just running and hiding, then by that point, then they've seeded me control of the map. I might as well just grab some objectives. Right. Yep. I would I would agree with that. So I, I think there are times they will, but I kind of like having that uh that initial when you start off when you start off the round. Like, will I am I going to put objective pressure on my opponent? or Am I going to put offensive pro, bleh, offensive pressure on them? But I don't think it's very realistic to put the objective pressure on them using your figures. So I, I would actually, yeah, I would tend to agree. So, so yeah, um, just, uh, but yeah, so, and, and like you said, it, it doesn't really drive hard decision making because you want your fighters to be fighting and you want your grabbers to be grabbing and there's not really much in between. Yeah, yeah, you wouldn't. Yeah. Yep. I, I think we're on the same page. I probably don't, I was about to like go into that speech again. I'm like, I don't have to say that again. <laughs> um, all right, Jake. Oh, someone is at my door. I'm gonna take a I'm gonna take a quick break here unless you want to start talking about something, okay? Oh uh, sure. Uh we're gonna go a little bit into the deployment zones while Eric checks his door and hopefully doesn't get murdered. The uh the red deployment zone in the bottom left corner of the map that we're using and the map that we'll be posting. Uh the red deployment zone is interesting. Because of the previously mentioned red dotted lines, especially the one red dotted line that's right on the corner of where it attaches to the two uh, to the two by two desert tile. That's also part of the deployment zone that prevents you from being able to easily uh, reorient your forces. So if you deploy somebody to the desert to look into the desert alley, it's very hard to move them around and deploy redeploy them into the cantina. So you have to be pretty pretty sure of where you want each figure to go because by the time you're done placing, they're pretty well committed. Uh, but the good thing about the red, that's a, so the trade-off for that is that you, uh, is that you have access on your far objective to in the desert alleys. Uh, your far objective, you are very well protected. You're hardly going to get sniped by going out to try to hold that hold or take that objective. Then you also have easier access to the cantina, which, as I'll mention later, is a pretty important area in a, a lot of the combat will take place in the cantina. Uh, the unfortunate parts about this area is that it uh, has very poor access to the evaporator. Uh, you have to spend a lot of movement points to be able to move out into that area or to be able to try to control it physically. You can deploy snipers to cover it, but you can't really physically control it. And uh, Eric, edit this out. I'm going to wait for you to come back. Welcome back. Uh, I had to step away quick, but Jake, let's get back into this. You just covered the red deployment zone. And so I'm going to look at the blue one here, I guess, because you're so... Go for it. You were, you were nice to pause and I think give me a chance to come back. So <laughs> I, better, I better take advantage of this. Uh, the blue room. So typically when I'm looking at these two sides, let me re, let me recap here for the bottom. Yeah, generally easier. Can I ask you why is the red zone? Maybe I should have. Maybe we should have just started done the red zone again. But uh, yeah, let's just restart the whole red zone. <laughs> All right, tell me, tell me, why is it easier? Back. Start from welcome back. Sure, editor Eric. Sure, we will. All right. We will now. Tell me, tell me, what's easier about the access to the cantina? 
Uh, easier access to the cantina is that you only have to move the couple spaces and open a door to have a an excellent sightline into the cantina. Mm -hmm. uh, and I honestly, in a, most of my games, I found that cantina is the one of the more important areas. Uh, yep. A lot of the fights revolve either devolve into fighting over the cantina or fighting over the center. Yep, agreed. So uh, I think that red. They have a more awkward deployment and they have to make the commitment uh, when they're placing their figures. They can't reorient as well as the blue deployment zone, but right. you do have access to the cantina, which means that you have a, a bit of a head start in one of the more important fighting areas. Right. And it also would give you, see, in my experience, I found it to be, it's pretty easy, especially for Imperials who, like, if you officer move a figure to, it's pretty easy to use. So then you can use that figure to open the door and hold the terminal safely and now that door is open for your melee figures or whoever you need to basically move forward and then start threatening your opponent's deployment zone right yeah and then yeah and, and that's a good point to, to put out as well is that if you can take control of the canteen around one you can easily move into your enemy's deployment zone that goes for either way but it's easier for red to take the the cantina and then move from there into the blue deployment zone Right. Uh, the blues they have uh, so the blues have easier access to the evaporator area, uh, yep. but that the evaporator area is very separated from the reds. So and that's one of the reds' weaknesses is that they have they have to work very hard to get into the evaporator area. So that's basically a blue a blue zone. Right, and I, I would say something to keep in mind about the about the cantina and the red deployment zone is that. It's it's actually kind of interesting because the more this is like one of the rare cases I feel where the more aggressive you are with we'll we'll say melee figures but it would honestly apply to any figure the more aggressive you are in this scenario the almost the safer you are because of that box that juts out in the center hall so you don't really want to be sitting in um so if you're counting from the door that's by the red deployment zone like if you count one two three spaces up so the very center of the cantina. You don't really want to be sitting there because your opponent is going to have line of sight from their terminal hallway, the blue terminal hallway. Yes. But if you bump up two more spaces where you're in kind of that like, now it's not completely safe because your opponent could still shift over from their deployment zone across the back room, the top of the map. But it's it's safer than being in the line of sight down that hallway, down that center yes. hallway there. Yeah, so you can use that blocking terrain from the uh, from the center area can use that blocking terrain to hide yourself and force them to come out further. So yeah. actually in the game I was playing last night, I was using Darth Vader and Jet Troopers, and I just stacked up a lot of my dudes in that area we're just talking about where yep. so that he was unable to uh, move in and attack without getting close enough for Vader and Jets to uh, to then have a good good attack into them. Right. And then that's the round. Yeah. And that area is really great because from there you have. So from a red deployment zone perspective, you have access to their back room. Basically, you can you can offensively you can be offensive there. You can be offensive in the two middle objectives and you can essentially access their terminal. Close, you know, not quite, but close. Yeah. Yeah. End of round one, beginning of round two, you definitely can uh, move from the cantina into pretty much anywhere in the in the northwest or yeah the upper left corner of the map as well yep. as the center whereas i think and maybe this is a good time to talk about this when we talk about the blue you know we can kind of shift a little bit to the blue yeah. deployment zone but right the blue deployment zone moving all the way down to that evaporator area well yes you would have line of sight over to their 
to um what am I trying to say here? Oh, the the red terminal zone. Um, I don't know why. I don't know why. Maybe you've counted the spaces, but it never feels like you have as easy as access back to the objectives, and I guess the rest of the map for that matter. Right, because you. Uh, I think the reason is that if you're moving into the evaporator zone, then the quickest way back to the center is to keep going down and around and back up into the center. Yep. But then you're taking fire from everybody who's in the red terminal hallway. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So, yeah. So there's there's not a very, lot of. It's a very dangerous way to go around back into the center. Yeah, yeah. Or you have to, or you have to go all the way back around through the blue terminal hallway to get back to the center, which is a double move for most figures. Yeah, and that's not that's not very good. Yeah, I've never I've really never seen many players commit to that. Um, the uh, evaporator room south of the blue deployment zone. Right. I, I've seen some people use it successfully, but they're they but they were using lists where you want to uh, where the taking the evaporator, it's harder for the red deployment zone to get to the evaporator. So if you can uh, consolidate into that area, you force red to have to commit further up forward. Right. Yep. Agreed. Um, what else did we miss here? Um, yep. So red. So six spaces to the far objective and much better protected. Um, so you said red is better protected. Is that what you have? Uh, red is. Uh, so when you're moving along the desert alley to yep. the objective that is placed just south of the evaporator area, mm -hmm. uh, that is much better protected than oh. the uh, equivalent air than the equivalent one in the uh, blues back room where you yep. have to move up into that uh, up into the tile just north of the cantina. Yeah, I would agree 100%. I, yeah. I don't know why. I don't know why I didn't think about that, but yeah, that one's quite easy to hold. You know, kind of and maybe that is, you know, so maybe part of why we don't see that evaporator room get occupied very often is because it's so difficult to contest the far objective whereas the um cantina just by virtue of moving into it you're sort of contesting the uh, that back room objective at the top left. Yes. You Exactly. Yeah, you're you're threatening. You're not necessarily going to have enough movement to get a figure there to take the points, but you are going to be threatening that anybody who tries to take that objective will be coming under a lot of fire. Right. Exactly. Good. That's a good observation. Wow. <laughs> um, let's see here. So for the blue deployment, let's see one more. I think we have one more thing here. Red dot alliance splits the deployment. Yeah. Yeah, so there is an issue, I guess, with the red deployment zone that you have down here, but the fact that you've got some like impassable terrain in there. Right, the impassable terrain, uh, especially the especially just the one space's worth that sticks out from the one hallway to to moving from the desert alley up into the terminal hallway to move back through yeah. the deployment zone, that yep. one little bit of red dotted line really does mess with your deployment. And so... If you try to deploy into the desert alley, you have to be, you're basically committing your units there because it will take a lot of, it'll take a lot of resources to move back around uh, to mm. back into the terminal hallway. Yeah. And I typically haven't found that to be a problem um, unless like me, you're running a trooper swarm where it can get, you know, it gets that it, it, it does actually get a little difficult to know um, how you should deploy because Right. Uh, if you're in the top, if you're in the blue deployment zone, really everyone's movement, it's you're just choosing a spot for them. And then you can kind of count easily count the spaces to where you want them to end up. But then, like you say, in this like you state in this red deployment zone, because of this difficult terrain, you kind of have to think, you know, what route will each of these figures have to take to get to where they want to go? 
right? The blue can reorient themselves pretty well, uh, where if they uh, deploy to move right away into their blue, uh, into their terminal hallway, but if they need to, they can, it's a pretty easy jaunt to move back around into the back room instead. Right. And, you know, something I would point out that this map is pretty tight, let's say, and it's spacing for the round one moves. So, like, for instance, in the red deployment zone, um, it's eight spaces over to the objective, right? I'm pretty certain. Uh, maybe it's just seven. Uh, to go look. from where to where? Oh, no, it's shorter than that. Sorry, I forgot that the red deployment zone juts out a little bit. Yeah, um, it's uh, it's it's six spaces to move to the back right. to the desert back alley objective. Yeah, that's sorry. I missed that. But OK, how about but this part? This part I did count out. But it, so if you're starting in the red deployment zone and you want to move into that safe area that we just uh, described in the cantina, that is eight spaces away. Yeah, One, that, two, that's three, at the four, edge five, of most six, people's seven, movement. So if you want yep. to move there, you just have to make sure to put them at the very front edge of the deployment zone. Yeah, so that can get a little difficult just because you really want to. And I mean, that goes for if you want to be able to attack, right, that um, if your opponent has a figure on that back room objective and you want to attack that figure with a melee unit, like you can't really, you want to start them closer than they can't be right obstructed by all these goofy lines and stuff. You can't start them in the middle of the deployment zone. You're going to want them closer up. Right. So around two, they have access right away. So yeah, it, it does get a little dicey in that bottom red zone um, with kind of placement and where your figures are going to go. Like I said, yeah, I don't think but, it's but most of the most of the uh, most of the issues are at the margins. It's not overall. It's not a worst deployment zone. It's just it prevent it presents some interesting challenges. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, blue deployment zone, Jake. Um, yeah, blue kind of has an, see what I, what's interesting. I think that blue, the strength that blue has as I feel like that deployment zone, assuming that the cantina is still going to be the cantina and center area are going to be a point of contention in the match. Um, they, I feel like they have pretty safe access, maybe not to contest the objectives, but to threaten, let's say offense on someone who wants to hold the objectives. They have a, I, th I, I would argue they have a safer access to that sort of thing. Right. Yeah, it's easier for blue to set up th to threaten the set up to threaten the central hallway or to threaten the cantina, but they don't move as well to hold it uh, yep. out of right out of the gate. Yep, Obviously, if you're uh, if your sniper duel goes well, then you can advance forward and start moving to finish people off into the cantina and center hall. But mm, mm -hmm. overall, I think you're better set off to attack the people that red is sending in to hold those areas. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, easier background blue channel support each other for the. So, would you mind explaining this one? So, you stated that it's easier for the back room and blue terminal to support each other than the red desert alley. Um, right. Uh, well, oh, that just comes to the same thing with the uh, with the red dotted lines, and it's a, it's a little bit more uh, spaces to count out to go back around through the red deployment zone to mm. reorient from one to the other, yeah. or you can go through the center and risk the fire. Right. Uh, versus uh, the blue deployment zone, it's a little bit uh, because they have good access to firing into the back room from somebody starting in the red or starting in the terminal hallway mm. and vice versa. They can better support each other. Right. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Yeah. So, yeah, the blue is a lot less uh, is a, built a lot less in a way to encourage you to split your forces. Yep, for sure. Uh, and then obviously the blue area has better access to the evaporator room. 
and uh-huh. they they're uh, they're one space closer to their backroom objective than the uh, red is to their uh, desert alley objective. Yep, but you're like right. You said, that's a lot more exposed to fire, so I think it kind of comes out in the wash. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree with that. Yeah, so if you have a five space movement, uh, however, if you do have a five movement character, or if you're willing to use a Gideon or officer bump, it is pretty easy to be able to move out and claim the objective on the B mission where you're grabbing crates. Mm. And then that gives you a bit more of a bit of a head start in gaining objective points. Yeah. Agreed. That's also any, and anybody who's sent to the back alley objective to hold it and gain points on the a objective to get those two points at end of round. Mm. then they're much better set up to join the fight than anybody red sends out to hold the back alley deployment. Right. Right. And I found too that the blue something the blue objective, let's say, excels at is that like let's say that if I'm in the red deployment zone and I move up into the cantina and I remove a blue figure from their back that back room objective, it's really easy for them to for the blue player to use some of it, even as more valuable figures. Let's say now, assuming we're not picking up boxes, we're just holding the points. But it's a lot easier for their like offensive figures who normally wouldn't be objective holders to. Um, kind of like fire down the hall, take a basically take an offensive action and then move over kind of at near the end of round and re let's say recontest or rehold the yes. objective again, which so, when I, again, I feel like in the red hallway, it's pretty difficult to orchestrate that, I think, but yeah, definitely. Especially since the, the back alley, the, the desert alley is a lot more sheltered. So that works both for your defensive, but it's also a lot harder to get offensive firepower out of the back alley and into a good place to fight. Right, right. Um, do we have anything else to say about the blue deployment, or do, should we move into strategic concerns? God, that's yeah, a very so nice way to put it. Strategic concerns. So just like general ideas. So I, I put down the first concern of uh, the Moss Eisley back alleys is uh, controlling the center. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So this is probably the best map to illustrate just a general good thing in war games is to control the center. And from there, you have a lot more strategic options. Right. And the center is defined by objectives. And it's uh, where and it's where the terminal hallways kind of move out into each other. And you can move from one terminal hallway to the other through the center. So just being able to hold that area, you control objectives, you keep your opponent boxed up into their deployment zone. So I, I, for most lists, especially those with a more melee bent, like most Imperial lists or some uh, some scum lists like uh, like Amigos, mm-hmm. they would prefer, like you really want to control that center so that you can then move up and threaten your opponents. Right, and I I think the uh, so this kind of this is not necessarily this is related to control the center, but um, I think this map actually rewards let's not say rewards, but it's very powerful to go last on any given round given how well a the size of the map and b those two objectives in the middle because going last it's it's relatively i would say trivial to contest those two points if you can just you know double move a figure on because most figures are gonna be able to double move to those spots almost no matter where they are on the map yeah generally so it's pretty powerful to go last and be able to like even if you're behind and you and let's say you don't control the center it's relatively trivial to kind of move in and grab a you know contest at least yeah if you can can move in and contest the center uh, one of the other uh, concerns that I put down about this is that there's a difference. Uh, you can control the center either by having it covered and making it 
so that nobody wants to go there from mm. your opponent. Uh, so like with Rangers or Elite Weakways. Yep. Or you can control it by putting your Jet Troopers or Vader or other uh, short-range units up in there and daring people to come to get you. Yep. They're both they're both equally valid, I think. Uh, the uh, Actually having figures in there to control the center get results in more objective points. But if you uh, but if your list it just isn't built to do that, if your list is built to snipe, then just making it a death zone that your opponent does not want to go to is also a way to prevent them. If no, if nobody's getting the points, then that works out in your favor more than your yeah. opponents, because you're preventing them from taking the points. So you have the strategic initiative. Yeah, and I would and I would say for the uh, for the um, hold the points mission, it kind of just because they. As long as you're not losing too many other points from the other objectives, it's not the same as um like an Al Huda or Jabba's Palace, which I keep going back to because they have similar similar hold the points objectives, but um they give a lot more points per objective. So in this one, assuming right. you're not losing a lot of points on the other objectives to your opponent, you can honestly you can afford to have a round where you don't hold those two middle objectives. Really? Yes, and I mean, and the same thing kind of comes up in the Yusku Entertainment District map as well, where you want to, where since their objectives are worth only two points a piece as well, mm. it, we'll probably bring it up on that episode. But you can you can afford to not take an objective if not taking an objective would get you better set up for combat next round. Yeah, for something versus else, yep. uh, versus like shielded, you have to really have a darn good reason to not move people up to take those four point objectives yeah yeah it's very punishing um but yeah i think i think that your observations are right in this map you can um and i suppose you'd kind of decide like what kind of figures you have what kind of figures your opponent has could this be the ultimate obi-wan kenobi map that i have not tried i have not tested but i should have been oh yeah well the fact that he keeps people from taking those objectives and he's also pretty tough against uh well he he can be tough. Uh, refer back to the episode. It kind of depends on who's attacking what. Yeah, but yeah. He can, but if you, even if you just have him hang out in your terminal hallway and you have his bubble of suck moving out to uh, encompass the objectives so that your opponents can't grab them, mm. and that then you have the threat of Obi Wan Kenobi being one of the meanest attackers in the game. Yeah, if he can, if he can, yeah, that actually is pretty interesting because if he can move in and deny those. Well, maybe not just deny. Maybe he also just hold the objectives, those two center himself. So he's going to nail, he's going to steal four points round one. And if he can just get off a really good attack round two, he's getting close to his value at that point. I was going to say, uh, a focused Obi-Wan can, uh, has a pretty good shot to taking, like, I, I think has a upper 50%. I'd have to check the numbers again. Mm. But definitely more than half the time, a focused Obi-Wan will take a weak way off the board and has a pretty good shot at a uh, taking a ranger or jet off the board as well yeah he is he is very scary so you want to so if you can hold those points get four points with him and then move up and get off literally any attack on an opponent's uh shock troop unit then you've pretty much made his points back you're right and then he dies and then he passes focus to one of your buddies (laughs) you're right he's the best figure in the game what have we been doing uh what else we got this okay i think we've covered everything about the center though but yeah it is this push and pull of do i hold the objectives or do i just merely threaten anyone who dares to hold them i think the uh pickup box is a lot different um 
and this is kind of where I wish I wish it was more lucrative to pick up the boxes. I don't know how you do that, but unless you just like jack up the points even more, but that's probably not that reasonable. Just say moving um, it to five points, then it would be feasible to win on doing nothing but objectives. Yeah, that would be interesting. I mean, it would put a lot of pressure. But so just for <clears throat> as someone who's tried it, but I don't again, and I, I wouldn't say it's a very viable approach. I remember maybe, the first time maybe, I played against your double <laughs> double jets list you ran i think you scored like 24 points of objectives yeah yeah which was insane like yeah, i was, I was like what the heck boxes. do i even do with this oh yeah i just shoot you a bunch and then oh, that, i'll just kill you <laughs> yeah. yeah i was grabbing boxes like crazy but yeah I, I i maybe there's a better balance than i was doing but um so right some options you have there that i think is using the officer to push a figure up into the terminal zone one of the terminal zones and then what you can do is um assuming they get close enough you can use a different figure to open the door and then your figure that's in the terminal zone i think all they have to do is move two and they can access a box generally yes we'll just see at a high level move two and then they can move two back and then they're safely in the terminal zone at which the next round they can put it drop it off at the stash and your opponent really has no recourse at that point right yeah that's an, I, th I think that's an interesting approach again i uh you get in a little bit trouble. What I think the trouble spot is, is if you tried to do that with two, three, four figures, which I, that's how I did in, in the game that we played. Right. But, Doing it with so one then, figure is, uh, is fine. That's just a quick and easy four points. But if you try to commit more and more of your list to it, then, then things get a little hairier. Yeah. And, you know, something interesting about this map that I should say, because this is kind of ties into what we were just discussing, is that because of this, like, three, the three lanes that they give a lot of access, let's say, to ranged units. Um, it's really, I don't think it's that feasible to even, like sometimes I would argue, oh, grab the boxes and then just hold off fighting for as long as you can, right? Just hide as long as you can. It's actually not very feasible to hide for any prolonged amount of time on this map. It's pretty difficult to be out of line of fire, especially if you're running like a, with any reasonable amount of troops, I guess, reasonable amount of figures, if you're running a lot of figures, it's pretty easy to get line of sight. Yeah. Oh, 100%. I so agree. yeah, you, you can't really delay. Honestly, you can't really delay the action all that easily because round two, they're probably going to have line of sight on a figure at least. At least. Right. And if they're playing a Vader list, then, yeah, then between that's... double move, then end of round attack, Vader's going to be right up in your terminal hallway and murdering people. Yeah. So that's, that's just <laughs> something I wanted to add about the center vis-a-vis -vis your the other mission. So yeah. Uh, yeah, other strategic concerns. Uh, I think a really interesting little tactic I've used before and thought worked out pretty well is the cover in the central corridor. So uh, when you look in the central corridor, you'll see that there are two pieces of red dot, uh, red terrain that block line of sight. So I've had pretty good success of stacking up units. By, like So from the blue deployment zone, you move one, two, three spaces yeah, or from the red plan zone, you move the three spaces to get in behind that. And it's actually pretty difficult for enemy snipers from the back room or the desert alley to hit anybody uh, behind those areas. So you mm -hmm. have to, you basically have to move out uh, onto the opposites. Like you have to cross the road and have on the opposite side of where you're start to be able to shoot into your opponent's uh, into your opponent's little safe zone. So that can be a good place to set up snipers or to set up melee units to then move forward and attack the next round. Yeah, that that center, the center blocking helps a lot. It adds like a little wrinkle to the down the hallway shot. I yeah, do find. So, go ahead. Sorry. 
I was gonna say, yeah, those little pieces of cover just they break up and uh, they break up the central corridor enough that it doesn't just become a straight up snipers duel of okay, who rolls better dice or did one side bring snipers and the other didn't? The snipers win. Yep, for sure. There, um, something else I want to mention too about the center before we move on from that. It there is like something interesting about the center being a place that you can kind of bunch up like. Even let's say if you're using like a riot trooper or something, they can kind of block line of sight very easily in the center hallway. But there is sort of a risk in the center and just in this map in general because of naturally how clumped your units get to AOE abilities. So like, I guess I would say Drakata might be a risk or Grenadier, things like that, or Bantha. It's kind of Bantha. like, a, those are kind of strongish units. Strongish units on this map. Yes. Oh man, if uh, when whenever Swamps rotates, I think Bantha's going to be coming back with a vengeance. Yeah, that that could be true. I mean, Bantha's still a pretty efficient unit. This I, this is not a this is not a episode about the Bantha, but we we'll, we'll get there. <laughs> we'll get there. Uh, next one, Jake, is you've got we've got the Cantina Hot Zone as a strategic concern. Yeah, so um, I actually talked a little bit about this before, uh, where the Cantina I've noticed is almost as contentious as the center and and both sides can kind of converge there and fight each other if they if both sides want to or if one side concedes the cantina to the other then that leaves their flanks open into their deployment zones mm, right yeah and uh again i look at this map jake and i look at the cantina and i look at the evaporator room or the evaporator room and it feels like you should almost see the fight end up in one of these two rooms more often, like equally. I would expect them to no. come out equally when I just, oh, no. but, but when I just glance at the map, I would say like, there's no reason why, you know, really at a high level, why I would expect them to, why the fighting always takes place in Cantina, but it always does. Yeah. Well, I, I think we went over that pretty well where the evaporator is very hard to get to from the red deployment zone. Yeah. That's, that's actually probably the biggest point. So and it's and it's not easy to get to from the blue deployment zone either. So it kind of ends up being a little bit of a dead zone or a way or or some I've seen some pretty skilled players move around the evaporator and move through the evaporator room to set up interesting uh, to set up some good like ambushes. Yeah, it's making me it's making me want to try it because now I feel like I haven't tried it enough because I do think that piece of blocking terrain in there does is definitely kind of a turn off really yeah yeah, it it really sets up it makes it a lot harder to get shots out of the desert alley into the blue deployment zone yeah for sure yeah interesting i just find it fascinating that that has such a big impact that that area has is just so rarely gone to right yeah so i think think our reasoning for why is correct i just i just think it's interesting that it is actually that influential so Right. So yeah, the cantina kind of turns into a hot zone in most in most games that I've played or or it doesn't and you have a and you have a tactical advantage of being able to control the cantina. Yeah, and it's kind of what I find kind of fascinating about the cantina is that it's almost like tactically, well let's say tactically from a from an objective perspective, it's not right, it's obviously less valuable than the center and it's kind of like I guess I, you could argue is equally valuable to some other points on the map. But just because it gets used sort of as a staging zone for red figures to access the blue deployment zone in some ways and the center. Um, and and it, if it blue being... can control it, then they have a really great place to just crush in on the red terminal hallway. 
Right, right. But then, yeah, like blue is equally influenced to try and prevent that setup. So they also contest it. So a lot of times, even though I guess I would call the cantina sort of a staging area, it ends up just being the the like flashpoint of the match. Yeah. Goes on there because it's too important to give up. Interesting. All right. Let's uh, talk next about one. those terminal hallways. Mm, which mm-hmm, I think mm-hmm. I think the fact that the terminals are so easily accessible from the deployment zones and are also protected by doors yep. is probably it's it's really it's unique it's for sure unique within the tournament rotation i think it's also pretty unique within all the maps as a whole mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so when you ha- are setting up in those terminal hallways the real question becomes because the doors auto open at end of round uh there are some a lot of the time people would be uh tempted to move into the terminal hallways and use that as your main staging point. Yep. But I've seen that turn into a trap more often than you would think. Right. Where once you, once you're posted up into the terminal hallway, then you, your opponent can move in and just start attacking and all your units are in one place to get slaughtered. Yeah. That's kind of an interesting point because a lot of times I think for a lot of us long, longer terms players, um, we sort of got used to terminals being pretty, pretty safe. And I mean, by that, I mean, safe for the entire match. And there's sort of been a, I guess I would say a little bit of a shift in that these terminals start out quite safe. I would say in round one, there's not a lot of contesting of terminals in round one, even offensively, right? It's pretty no. difficult to shoot at your opponent, but it re- really is round two. Your opponent can basically access you. Cause if we go back and you just count from terminal to terminal, what is it like eight? It's like six spaces, eight spaces, one, two, three, four, five, like almost like six from, from hallway to hallway. It's only like four spaces, right? So if you're set yeah, up, it's a seven, it's seven spaces to move from one terminal to the other. Yeah. And then, you know, for a, for a range figure, it's even, you know, it's quite, it's very easy to get access to the terminal hallway, which is, I guess I would say is maybe like a little change from, I mean, excluding some of the maps. Like if you think about Obi-Wan's map, right? Those terminals were just kind of, out in the open so none of the, they never felt safe but if we go back to again like java's palace you know your terminal could be safe for almost the entire game it felt like on those matches yeah unless your opponent is specifically bum rushing you then yeah yep yep yeah very that's an interesting inter- interesting observation about how they kind of shift there's the relative safety of your figures at the terminal shifts pretty drastically from round one to round two yeah definitely no and yeah so basically you the point I just wanted to make with these terminal hallways is mm. especially the, the reds rely on the terminal hallways to more to set up uh, because their desert alley is not near as good of a staging point as the blues back room. Yeah, agreed. So blue has a choice of the back room or the terminal hallway to set up. And if they choose to split their force between them, they can support each other pretty well. Mm-hmm. While red doesn't really have that luxury. Right. So, the blue player, if you're the blue player attacking red, you can be pretty sure that your opponent will either be uh, will be moving out through the terminal hallway. So if you want to try to somehow make that work to your advantage, whether that's setting up to make it so they don't want to leave that terminal hallway or setting up so that they uh, that you can try to control the cantina and then move from there to eat into the terminal hallway. Right. Agreed. Interesting. Yeah, and also the other thing I put down here is that if you uh, focus too much on the terminal hallway, you can see control of the center or the cantina. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
yeah the, I, in my experience i haven't found it to be very valuable to leave a lot of figures in the terminal hallway ends up being kind of a i don't want to say a trap but ends up <laughs> you end up losing a lot of value there you do you do lose a lot of value however one bit of value that you can get back is that your officers or r2d2 or whoever you have sitting terminals mm-hmm. they can in the late game they can move out of the terminal into the center to try to run to try to get some objective points in the late game so yeah that's, that, so when at near the end of the game when uh when drawing two command cards versus one probably won't make as big a difference as controlling more objectives right uh, and I, I think an interesting thing to note as well is that there is some interesting positioning you can do um, with your like officers or like you mentioned, any support unit where if you look in the red, I want to say it's the red, the red and the blue can both do this. But in the cantina objective and the evaporator objective, it's, it's if it's the uh, pickup boxes mission, uh, you can position uh, pretty interestingly, with a four-speed unit to move to pick up and move to back to your terminal, so you can get right. still if get that terminal, still get that terminal value. Yeah, with the Gideon officer, that's totally possible. Yeah, yeah. So you can still get the ter- value of the terminal and set up to grab a quick four points the next round. You know, if you think the game's going to end, you're not going to be needing the the objective or the command cards. Yeah, yeah. Good, definitely an excellent point. So. Yeah, I hadn't mm. even considered that. I was thinking more moving out to the center, but yeah, if those points haven't been taken yet, 100% worth doing. Yeah, and it kind of depends. I think if you had a more offensive focus list, you might not be picking up those boxes very often. Yeah. But it's kind of nice to be able to have that option because your support units probably are staying back. So. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. For sure. For, for sure. sure. Um, uh, is there anything yeah. else that we got to touch on? I think we've covered this map about everything that could possibly be covered yeah there's a i i i have a little i don't want to say i have a love-hate relationship with it but i i think everything we've said about this map is true and i like that it's more symmetrical i i think i again this is kind of just coming off of um java's palace which i really liked where you really had to commit your ranged units where on this map i the thing i don't like about it is that it's pretty easy to you don't really, there's not a lot of positioning. Let's say for, in terms of line of sight, you can't really miss out on an attack on this map. All that, it's pretty difficult to miss out on a ranged attack on this map. Um, it depends on which zones you're focusing on. So that, like if you're, so it's really hard for the cantina to interact with the evaporator or the back or the back room to act, to interact with the evaporator or the back or the desert alley or with the uh, opposing terminal hallway. So it really depends on you have to be you have to move into a direction and be okay with uh, any direction you don't move. You're not going to be able to get to easily within right. one round. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. I just think um, based on practice, most people don't end up in the evaporator area. So generally, yeah. no, generally, I find, generally, 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 I find if you set up a ranged unit in the back room area, that top area between the cantina and the center hallway you it's like pretty easy to manage you know get line of sight get shots off so but it's a fighting map what can i say it's a it's a very fighting map and i i like that i like mm. just setting up and beating the snot out of each other until one person walks out with a win <laughs> it's the jake way <laughs> yeah um final final thoughts conclusions we gotta say here yeah it's a it's a balance map i, I will say that much at least yeah, there's. I, I would say that there's no specific play style that is favored here. Like melee is good, sniping is good, 
your objective running is going to be pretty good. Like there's nothing here that says play this if you don't like there's no lists uh, archetypes I would say that if you pull this map then you're going to just groan and say that's an auto loss. Right. Yep, I would agree. And you you made a good point here on our notes is that um the deployment zones are pretty equal. And then you mentioned that the swamps and I was like, "Oh yeah, that was <laughs> swamps is kind of an unfair. Well, I don't want to say unfair, but it is definitely uneven. A, uh, uneven deployment zones, yeah. Going back to the also Obi-Wan the Cantina, that was a uh, very bad map as well in terms of the differing deployment zones. I didn't uh, necessarily agree, but maybe I was wrong. Fake. There's a mission where all three objectives were on the side of one player. Are yeah, you kidding and then, me? And then the other side is set up to block you from running those objectives, killing the part, killing the people that you're wasting on running objectives because they can't attack. Still stinks. <laughs> Still not fair. All I disagree, but that uh, that is another episode, sir. That's true. Let's talk about this map that isn't in rotation anymore. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, lots of lots of objectives. I would say I would stand by my complaint that the bringing the boxes back. I I don't know what the actual solution for that would be. Probably not. But bringing it bringing on your list. Yeah, bringing stuff back to the stashes though is real. It's for for game for a game that is generally three rounds. It is it's basically tantamount to you might as well just get rid of that figure should not be is basically not in the match hardly anymore so you're kind of like yeah. sacrificing that whole figure for the match so um but yeah, i, but I, I, could I, I disagree well i mean it depends on what figure you're using so yeah don't it's true, it's true. fighting figures to run the b-side objectives mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah i would agree with that all right um any final any other things we got to say about this otherwise i think it's um, i think we've no. done our due diligence here thank you for listening uh, yeah, I hope we, I really hope we provided it. some insight to everybody who listened that maybe something you hadn't noticed before, or maybe we just uh, said everything that was super obvious that everybody had already figured out to the point that they didn't think it was worth talking about. I don't know, but let us know what you think. Does this one, it's now Huda that rotates out next, right? This one Nalhada goes next. Well. Okay, yeah, so we're going to have this map for quite a bit yet. Yeah, we're probably with this map at least until until uh, through store champ season and maybe into regional season if they decide to skip another rotation. Mm. Yeah. All right. Well, Jake, thanks. I'm, I was really happy you put this together. I look forward to oh. us doing the next one, and I think I'll have a... I don't think I helped you set up this one, but I'll be <laughs> eager actually to help plan the next one because now I kind of... Oh, definitely. I don't think I ever I don't think I had a good framework of what I where to even begin with looking at the map, but this was oh. nice. Yeah. Expect more map reviews. This is fun. <laughs> well, <laughs> expect at least two more until the next one rotates in. <laughs> or we can just talk about maps we've liked in the past. I don't well, know. That'd be that'd be kind of fascinating too. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. Listen to Zion's Finest and the other podcast. Jake, tell me what the other ones are. Uh, Board Wars, fully armed and operational, are the uh, we're, we're the four that are active now. We're the third gen of Imperial Assault podcasts because because uh, there's a couple That's when they game first released, uh, and then there was the Vader's Finest and New Orders. They kind of mm -hmm. ran for a while, but they're they're done now. And then mm -hmm. Board Wars has just been around the whole time. Yeah, they're they're troopers. They're they're troopers. No troopers. They're, they're not All right, well. troopers. They're not as good as two troopers, but... <laughs> but there's some amount of troopers. <laughs> all right, Jake. We're going to call this one, but right. thank you for this episode, and we will talk again soon, all right? Talk to you later. Bye. Yep. Bye-bye.